You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. All right, if you would turn back to Galatians 3. Uh, that's where we're going to be at here in just a moment. That's the passage that we read a second ago. And uh, we will be referring back to that passage of Scripture several times. It's great to have Eric's mom, uh, Linda, with us today. She's now visiting from Wabash, so I want to say a special welcome uh, to her. Be sure and uh, meet her uh, if you haven't already. And it's also good to have my parents in town visiting uh, this weekend. And they went and saw my sister uh, on Friday and Saturday and then came back and they're in worship with us today. My dad retired from Delta Airlines, so when they go back, they will fly uh, because they have that opportunity. Uh, But if they were driving to drive back to Virginia Beach, where their home is, where my home was in Virginia Beach, you could get on Interstate 64, which is just up the road here, and take it all of the way to Virginia Beach, just a couple of miles from their house. 750 miles, but all on Interstate 64. When we used to make this trip at Christmas, just Nicole and I, I would try to maybe catch uh, a little bit of sleep in the middle, and she would always say, well, which road do I take? And I would say, it's 64 the whole way. Just, just stay on 64. It, it's not too complicated. Uh, she was just worried. There are a couple places where it joins in with other interstates and runs alongside of those, and then they veer off, and she didn't want to get off one of those side streets. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, he's writing to them because there are Greek believers and Jewish believers in the church. And the Jewish believers were telling the Greek believers that if you really want to be a Christian, if you want to be varsity type Christ follower, then you need to become a Jew and follow the traditions of the Jews. And so Paul writes in this letter to make it clear to them that the law and the rules and the holidays that the Jews celebrated, that it does not get us to heaven. That it's not what gets us to the Lord, but it's His grace. And he talked about that in great detail at the end of chapter 2 and beginning of chapter 3, which we looked at last week. And here in chapter 3, he begins to shift gears because he wants to make it clear that while faith is, and grace are what give us salvation in Christ, what forgive us of our sins. He's not saying that the law is in opposition to that. He wants them to be clear that it wasn't that faith in Jesus Christ is some new way to get to God, but rather that that has been the way the entire time. That from the very beginning, the way that we have a relationship with God is through faith. And so what he's communicating to them is that this path of faith is not a new way. It's not a new path to a relationship with God. It's not a new way to heaven. But rather he's communicating to them that this path of faith, that it runs back as long as time. And it runs forward until the end of time. Scripture would say that before the foundation of the world, Christ had been ordained to die for our sins. This was not a new plan. The path of faith runs as long as time. And so Paul starts with the the man that the Jews look back to as their forefather, Abraham. This man that God made promises to, said you'll have descendants, and those descendants are the Jews. He's looking back at their, their great ancestor. And he says when God made him a promise, he was making him a promise that one day all would be blessed through you. But Abraham believed God And that was counted to him as righteousness. Look at verse 6. 
Verse says, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what Paul is saying is if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Jews, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Jewish faith, all the way back to the beginning of the Jewish ethnicity in Abraham, even Abraham in the very beginning, he believed and had faith. And that is how he was made right. That's how he was justified. The same way that we are justified today through faith. Now, Paul kind of, he gives the supporting arguments to this idea, to parentheticals if we'll, we'll get to in just a moment. But he gives the illustration that, that kind of communicates what he's saying here in verses 15, 16, and 17. Look at those. He says, I speak after the manner of men. He says, let me give you an illustration that you can understand as men and women. Though it be but a man's covenant, if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not as to seed as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's like God made a contract with Abraham. That he was going to bless the world through his family. And the law came 430 years later, and that does not void the contract that God made with Abraham. He says, just like you can't sign a contract and then make changes to it, God did not make changes to this promise that He made to us when the law came. Uh, This past summer, the National Association of Real Baptists met in Louisville, Kentucky, and Real Baptists from all over came to Louisville for that meeting. That happened this summer, but it was the execution of a plan that had been in the works for years. Our National Association already knows where the meeting is going to be in 2023. Because for you to rent these large convention halls, you have to have contracts way in advance. And Keith Burden, who's our executive secretary, who puts together these contracts, he always says, before you sign the contract, you can negotiate. After you sign the contract, you can only beg. Because once the contract is confirmed, there's no changing it. And when God made this promise to Abraham, there's no changing it. So when the law comes on the scene 430 years later, when God speaks to Moses and He gives them the Ten Commandments, and He gives them these laws for obeying, for ceremonial cleansing, that does not annul the promise that God made to Abraham. Paul says you can't alter the contract. God didn't alter His plan. Grace or forgiveness of our sins, is not plan B. It's not that God saw, oh man, these people, they cannot keep the rules. So we're going to have to figure out something different. right? Now, you and I, we have to do that with our kids. right? Like we're on plan E or F of our parenting and disciplining them. right? Like they're, not, they're not responding to this. We're going to try something different. They're not responding to this. So we're going to try something different. God did not say, oh, they can't keep the law, so I've got to figure out another plan. This was His plan from the beginning. The path of faith. And so he's telling them, listen, that, that's been the plan. And let me get to those two ideas that he mentions. Verse 7, he points out the original promise was for all people, not just the Jews. Verse 7 says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. He's saying, don't you see that even back then, God was saying that anyone who believes would be my child. God was saying even back then in the days of Abraham that through the people of Abraham, through the Jews, God was going to bless the entire world. Now here's what's ironic about that, okay? 
the Jews in this church are telling the Greeks, listen, if you want to become a Christian, you really want to become a Christian, you need to become like us. And they're pointing back to the promises made to their people. But the very first promise made to their people was, I'm going to bless everyone through you. The first promise was to all of us. No matter where we're from, no matter what ethnicity we are, no matter who we are, the promise is made available to us that through the path of faith, we can be forgiven. We can be justified. And the second idea that he gives us in these verses is is just beautiful. He tells us the law is a means of the curse. Look at verse 10. For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written. And he quotes Moses' law from Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things. You know what the law says? The law says you got to keep it all. Not, hey, here's the law, try to keep most of it. The law says you've got to keep every bit of it. You've got to keep every bit of it. If you've ever tried to walk your way out or talk your way out of a ticket, right? You've probably said, well, I have my seatbelt on, right? I wasn't going that fast, right? I wasn't going as fast as that guy, right? I'm keeping most of the good laws, right? I'm keeping most of the laws, I wish the police would give me credit for the laws I'm keeping instead of just zeroing in on the one that I broke. He says, you've got to keep all of the laws or you were cursed by the law. And so the law is not a means of blessing. The law is a means of curse. But then Paul, he, he just can't get away from talking about Jesus' death on the cross. He talks about it at every turn. He says in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made the curse of for us, that we might receive the blessing. Paul is saying this, Jesus became the curse so that we could receive the blessing. Jesus became the curse so that we may receive the blessing. And that is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus became the curse for us so that we could receive the blessing. Jesus took the punishment of all the laws so that we could receive the promise of grace. That's the gospel in a nutshell. When I was in high school, we would travel to this church camp, and the church camp schedule was pretty intense because there were two classes in the morning. So you're, it's summer, okay? And you have two classes in the morning from two different speakers. You have lunch, you go play, you swim, and then there's a service that evening. And then after the service that evening, when you went back to the dorm... They did a devotion, all right? And like, we thought we were going to like play and swim, and they're like just giving us all this Bible, right? So one of these nights, the guy gets up to give the devotion, and we've been in classes and service, and he says, I'm going to be very brief. I just want to give you the gospel in a nutshell. And he took 45 minutes. (laughs) And as I'm walking back to my bunk, my buddy Josh Roth, he was there for me, he goes, hey man, that was a pretty big nutshell. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus took the curse so that we could receive the blessing. If you understand that, you understand the gospel. Jesus went to the cross and took the curse for us so that we could be forgiven and receive the blessing. He took the punishment so that we could have the promise. That's the gospel. And so he's telling him, this is the gospel. Not that you are worthy because you keep the law, but because Jesus took the curse for you. So then Paul's critics say, well, if the law 
doesn't give us blessing. It just brings us curse. Why do we have the law? What's the point of the law? Is the, the law contrary to the gospel? Is it, is it against what the message of God is? Verse 19, they're saying, what's the purpose? Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. You see, the path of faith runs as long as time, and the path of faith runs alongside the law. Have you ever been driving on the interstate, and next to you is this, this road that's not the interstate, but it's a road for that town, and it just runs right next to the interstate, and you're just traveling right next to people, right? And maybe there's someone coming this direction that kind of plays a trick on your eyes, like, is that person going the wrong way? It's running alongside, but it's not continuing on. You see, the law ran alongside, but it couldn't get us where we needed to go. The law runs alongside the message of God, but it can't get us where we need to go. Paul says that the purpose of the law, the service of the law in verse 22, is that it put us all under the curse. The law made it clear that we're in trouble. The law made it clear that we can't get our act together. That we can't do what is right. That we're not able to do what God would have us to do. Have you ever read the Old Testament law? Have you ever read all of it? All of the commands that are there? And on top of that, they added more laws and more laws? It was impossible to keep them all. But the purpose of the law was to show us that the law will never never make us right. The rules will never make us do what we should. We are constantly breaking them. Years ago, we had Brother Roy Helms preach here for us. And some of you might remember, he has yard signs that have the Ten Commandments on them. And he has license plate placards that have the the Ten Commandments on them. And and Roy's passion is that the Ten Commandments remain visible in our country, though there are many people that are removing it from community places and courthouses. He wants to to make sure that the Ten Commandments are known to this culture. Because if we don't know the Ten Commandments, we don't know that we're breaking the law of God. And if nobody knows they're breaking the law of God, nobody knows that they need to be rescued. The purpose of the law is to show us that we need God. The purpose of the law is to show us that we need grace through faith. So Paul argues that faith and the law are not in opposition to one another, but they work together. They're from the same God. He says God is one in verse 20. So he says that doesn't contradict grace. It contrasts grace. It makes it visible. It shows us how much we need it. The law was like a light that turned on and showed us just how lost we were. The law was like your GPS finally connecting in, realizing that you're not on the road you're supposed to be on. You're on some side road that's taking you in a different direction. That's what the law did. It showed us that we need God's grace, that we need His work in our life. He said, and because of that, the law imprisoned us, but grace frees us. He's saying the path of faith, it runs as long as time. The path of faith, it runs along the side of law. And the path of faith, you know, because it runs among us. He says it's portrayed before you in baptism and adoption. You've been baptized into Christ and adopted into the family of God. Verse 26 says, You are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. 
27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. He'll go on to talk about in chapter 4 how that this adoption means that we are heirs and that we should not live as slaves because we are sons and daughters. We should not live as servants because we have made, been made sons and daughters of King. And in God's family and in Christ, we're no longer defined as Jew and Greek or Roman or barbarian or slave or free or even male or female. Rather, we are labeled as in Christ. In Christ. The churches in Galatia, in this mountainous region in Galatia, they were all dividing up into little factions. And they weren't divided just on their, based upon their geography, but they were dividing because well, we're Greeks and, and they're Jews and we're slaves and they're free men and they're men and we're women. Paul says none of those labels matter. The label that matters most is in Christ. And in Christ, you are all one. Paul says, forget about Jew or Greek, male, female. Forget about slave, free. The designation that matters is, are you in Christ? If you have that, the rest of it doesn't matter. And today, we have all kinds of labels that we ascribe to ourselves. We, we call ourselves white collar, blue collar, no collar. We call ourselves Hoosiers or whatever Kentucky people call themselves or... We, 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 we call ourselves Republican or Democrat or Independent. We call ourselves by all of these labels, conservative or progressive, liberal or traditional. And Paul says, stop talking about all these labels. The label that matters is in Christ. That's the label that matters. So he says in verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And call communication. What matters is your relationship with Jesus if you're connected to Him through this path of faith. And this idea of connection is one I've tried to emphasize here in Galatians because that's what Paul is telling them. Why are you divvying up based upon these labels when you're all in Christ? And that's what matters. That's what ties you together. And when people see that you are tied together, though you are Jew and Greek, slave and free, Roman and barbarian, though you are male and female, young and old, rich and poor, when they see that you are tied together and the only thing that you have in common is Jesus, it gives the body of Christ shape. Like strings wrapped around these tacks, giving these mountain shapes, when the difference between us the way that you are and the way that I am and the, way, the place that I'm from and the place that you're from, it's all different, but together we are bound by Christ and His grace. And that gives the body of Christ shape. And when one of us is moved out to St. Louis to be with his grandson who's incredibly sick, that distance does not sever the connection because the bond of Christ is what connects us. And that gives the body of Christ shape and it puts it into tangible forms and it can be seen. So it doesn't matter where we're at or where we're from. What matters, are we in Christ? Are we in Christ? 
And so Paul says, listen, the, the path of faith, it runs as long as time. From the very beginning to the very end, that has been God's plan for us to have a relationship with Him. And it did not run contrary to the law. It ran alongside the law. But what I want you to see, Galatians, is it runs among you. And you are not divided by these differences in background. You are one in Christ. You were tied together in Christ. And when the distinctions between you are wrapped in the love of Christ, it gives shape. And what's incredible about this is that this is a label. This is a designation. This is a status that we can choose. It's not handed to us. We can choose. Because if you believe, you belong to the family of God. If you believe, you belong to the family of God. You're in His family. You are adopted into His family. Right now, our world desperately wants to be able to ascribe their own labels to themselves. Our world desperately wants to be able to say, you call me that, but that's not who I am. You can't tell me who I am. You don't know me. Our world wants desperately to be able to say, that's not the label that suits me. I create my own label. I decide my label. I decide my, my designation, my, my gender, my status, my class. While those labels are shaped by reality, in Christ is shaped by choosing to believe and placing faith in Him. And everyone here can be in Christ because if you believe, you belong to the family of Christ. The truth is that none of us are represented well by any label because we're more than that. And all of those labels are temporary, but your soul is eternal. And in Christ is a designation or a label that will carry on into eternity. There is never a moment in time from beginning to end until eternity. There is no moment in time where the designation of in Christ will not matter. All these other labels, they will no longer matter. But in Christ, that label matters. Now because belief in Christ is an invisible element, we make this invisible visible. And he says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ. Because it's invisible, we make it visible through baptism. We take this personal commitment to Christ and we make it public through baptism, showing everyone that we have committed our hearts and lives to Christ, that we have taken on the label of in Christ. Now for the Galatians, this step of being baptized had communicated powerfully to their family and friends that things were different now. That they were no longer to be thought of as Jew or Greek or slave or free, they were to be thought of as in Christ. This was their new designation. They're in Christ. And baptism communicated, I believe and therefore I belong to Christ. I'm His. In our day, we have improved settings for baptism. We have baptistries that incorporate fountains and have expensive heaters and 
Did you know that, that one of the leading causes for church fires is baptistry heaters? We have all of these trappings that go along with baptism. And today in our culture, baptism is like a rite of passage. And for most people who have been baptized, it wasn't a decision that they made. It was the decision that their parents made for them. And they were baptized as a child into the faith that their parents chose and not one that they chose. But for the Galatians, there were no baptistries. There were no fountains in the front of the church where people could get baptized. There was the pond or the creek. And baptism wasn't something that their parents had chosen for them. It was something that they would choose for themselves. And the significance was real and tangible. And for many of them, being baptized would be not only stepping away from the label of Jew or Greek or slave or free or Roman or barbarian or rich or poor, but also be stepping away from friends and family and employers who would shun them from that point forward. It was a major step. And today, our missionaries, as they take people to be baptized, they know in some of those countries that they put their life at risk to be baptized, to make public this inner commitment. They know that when they have this baptism, their family will also hold a funeral because they consider them dead to them because they have rejected the faith of their fathers or the beliefs of their family. Today, we have many more trappings for baptism, and I'm afraid that significance is less. But there are still places and cultures where there aren't baptistries, but there's still an incredible amount of significance. Clint Morgan, who's the director of international missions, when he was a missionary in Africa, told of riding a motorcycle through the trails of the African bush. And Mike Cousineau, who was with him, was also riding a motorcycle. And they had to stop on the side of the road because the trail was so jagged and curvy that he was getting sick to his stomach. They got back on the bikes and made their way to the service, got there just in time for the worship, sang with the believers, listened to the message, and then went with them out to this watering hole where they were going to have the baptism service. And Clint Morgan watched as they scooped the muck off of the top of the water. And they got into this eight-foot round pool. And Clint said that as he got in, he could see leeches on the surface of the water. But these believers readily stepped forward to be baptized, to show they are in Christ. That they believe And they belong to Christ. Today we're going to do a baptism. And we're going to use a baptistry that's different than normal. This baptism was originally planned to be part of the outdoor baptisms we have coming up in two weeks. But I'm glad that it's worked out for us to do this baptism today as we look at this passage of Scripture. And I'm thankful that Shelby has placed her faith in Christ and she wishes to communicate that she is in Christ. Christ. And so today we're doing baptism a little different, but there's no muck to rake off and there are no leeches. But the significance is powerful that in Christ, she belongs to the family of God. When I met with Shelby in my office, she knew that she needed to be forgiven of her sins. She'd spoken to her mom several times after vacation Bible school, knowing that she needed to be forgiven and what that meant to to trust in Christ. And her mom had talked about what it means to place your faith in Jesus. And they came to my office and wanted to pray and make that commitment 
to be in Christ and to be forgiven. Christ died on the cross for us. That's what Shelby has placed her faith in. She has that path of faith. She believes in that. And today we'll baptize her to show Christ's death on the cross. Many people think that baptism is a ceremony of cleansing. That it is meant to show us being washed of our sins. But baptism isn't about cleansing. It's about showing Christ's death and resurrection. Paul would say elsewhere that we go into the water to show the death and burial of Christ. Just as he died on the cross and was placed in the tomb, we go into the water. But Jesus didn't stay dead, so we don't stay in the water. We come out of the water raised to new life. And in baptism, we show that we are in Christ. We are in his death, and we are resurrected in his new Shall be based upon your profession of faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and in obedience to his command. It's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now Shelby gets dried off, and she and Betsy work on getting her changed into some dry clothes. I want to take a moment and ask you, are you in Christ? Have you placed your faith in His death and burial for you? Are you experiencing the power of His resurrection by Him giving you new life? Is that the label and designation that matters most in your life? Are you part of God's family. Paul said none of these other things matter. What matters is that you are a part of the family of God. You are in Christ. You were baptized to show this significance. You were baptized to show this new label in your life. Are you in Christ? And then he goes on to talk about adoption, which we'll get into next week. But adoption means we've been brought into the family of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And there is no reason that we should live as slaves to sin any longer. If you're a child of God, there is no need to live as a slave of sin. If there is some sin that is holding you back, that is holding you captive, come forward at the end of this service and give it over to God so that you can truly be free and live as a son or daughter. It may be that you're here this morning and you have placed your faith in Christ. But you've never taken the step that Shelby took this morning in being baptized. And that needs to happen. You need to make public the inner commitment you've made to be in Christ. And I want to invite you to do that in two weeks. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.